Hello, this is Brad Redderson, and welcome to Voices from 2020, an audio program powered by Stranova, exploring strategic reflections on our business present from the perspective of the future, and featuring your hosts, Bill Veltrup and Firehawk. It's one of several podcast series on the subject of strategic innovation in business offered by Stranova, a resource group dedicated to helping you achieve and capitalize on the incredible potential available for your own business. With our over 30 years of experience leading innovation, we know what it takes to turn ideas into profits. Please visit us to learn more at www.stranova.com. And now, please join us for this week's episode of Voices from 2020. Welcome to the sixth podcast in the Voices from 2020 series. I'm Firehawk, and I'd like to help you get ready to travel to the year 2020. As many of you suspect, there are an infinite number of possible futures. Whether our collective future is wondrous or disastrous, will be importantly influenced by the choices that we make as human beings. Bill Veltrip and I are convinced that we, as a species, have been grossly underestimating our capacity to choose a future that works for us all. We decided to pursue a path forward that would help us collectively envision and move towards an ideal future to move towards wholeness, in other words. So here's the journey so far. Our first stop was to petition the Guild of Evolutionary Time Travelers, GET, to become licensed to travel to an ideal year, 2020. We had to go through a rather extensive and intensive process before we received our provisional license, but we got it. Well then Brad Redderson learned about our achievement and in a typical burst of genius and generosity, offered to have his Stranova site host a year-long series of monthly podcasts with Bill and I interviewing people with vision from an ideal year 2020. In the first Voices from 2020 podcast, Brad interviewed Bill and I. The big news from our inaugural journey was that the Greater San Francisco Bay Area will be hosting the 2020 Infinite Games. Stay tuned to this series and to our website, VoicesFrom2020.com, to learn more. In the second podcast, we interviewed Gil Friend and Jeff Saperstein and saw how their deep commitment to creating regional dashboards made a difference in an ideal year 2020. In the third podcast, we interviewed Tom Attlee, who spoke of the power of becoming conscious of our own evolution and how that can serve the whole of life. In the fourth and fifth podcast, we interviewed Dwayne Elgin, who helped us see the role a fundamental shift in consciousness had on the media, community life, and our relationship with the Earth in the year 2020. After a month off to make some needed repairs to our time travel apparatus, this month we interview Stu Winby, Back in 2006, Stu had already enjoyed a 25-year career as a pioneering practitioner and thought leader in the field of strategy innovation, management of innovation, and organizational development and design. 
He was founder of Sapiens Silicon Valley, a strategy, organizational, and leadership consulting firm that focused on working with executives and senior teams of medium and Fortune 500 sized companies. It's good to note that prior to Sapiens, for 12 years, Stu was Executive Director, General Manager of Strategy, Organization, and Change at Hewlett Packard. We sought out Stu Winby in the ideal year 2020 because of the breakthrough work he was already doing back in 2006 as he was evolving what he then called the Decision Accelerator Innovation Lab. In this interview, we asked Stu to describe the futuristic design environments he would produce and direct in support of the metamorphosis of very complex multi-stakeholder organizations. We then asked him to share some of the ripple effects of that approach. And so now, travel with us to the year 2020 and an interview with Stu Winby. The firm um, wanted to become a world-class health organization in the United States. Okay. And one of the key objectives to do that was to be able to develop world-class clinical strategies in areas like oncology, neuroscience, cardiac, orthopedic. The traditional way of doing that was uh, getting a small group of um, physicians and getting them to meet on a regular basis and come up with a plan that would be sort of a clinical practice plan and they would have a, a member of the health organization that would be a VP of oncology so forth and they would kind of lead this activity and at the end of a year this group would meet and it would come up with a, with a list of objectives and plans the problem was is that you had all these physicians that were crossing all these hospitals and no one really embraced the plans they weren't committed with the plans they didn't a lot of them didn't read what the plans were so they weren't very alive the chief innovation officer and this chief the ceo essentially said you know how can we build an organization if it's going to be world class we're going to have these practice areas to be much better you know much more integrated so the problem that they presented was how do we develop a, a strategy um, that's a highly innovative, future-oriented, compelling, high-committed strategy in these particular clinical practice areas, and how do we do that? And the suggestion was, well, there's a, there's a tool, there's a number of tools that could be used to be able to, to do that. Um, one tool is called a decision accelerator tool, but there's also some innovation tools, and one of them that I was suggesting was a tool that came out of actually some work at Stanford called a strategic horizons process. That methodology and the combination of that methodology and a uh, decision accelerator organizational methodology, if you combine those two, that may solve this problem and help get the kind of results that you want. What, what do you mean by a decision accelerator? What's that? You know, it has a number of components. One is that it has, there's an environment. And the environment is very important because um, the environment is much different than what people are used to being in in order to get work done. So this environment where the decision-making happens. Where the decision-making happens, right. And, you know, in a very simple way, you know, it's essentially getting um, 
all the stakeholders and all the people, the entire community, the system, if you will, into this environment all at one time. And then the environment is designed to enhance problem solving, planning, decision making, cooperation, collaboration um, in a very rapid way. So the environment is essentially designed to process information very quickly. Okay. And it's, a, it's really a process information environment. You know, it's, okay. it's, it's, so if, you, if I walked into this environment, what would I see? You would see um, lots of uh, whiteboards uh, configured in, in, with different configurations. You would hear music. You would see lots of people walking around. Would feel like a busy you feel like a lot of energy in the room. Lots of different people that you didn't know, or some people that you've seen and that are kind of acquaintances. There would be sections of the room that would have lots of information relative to the the reason why you're there. So you'd be able to to get rapidly sort of get educated by doing a a gallery walk around the around the areas. Um, you'd see lots of different types of equipment. There would be uh, uh, video uh, cameras, um, computers that are on kiosks located at different places. There's a, there's a feeling of kind of innovation um, in the air, and you're not quite sure what to expect. Mm -hmm. So there's a sense, usually when people go into these environments, there's a sense of excitement, but also not really understanding what's going to happen mm -hmm. and asking the question how do I fit into this environment and what behaviors do I need to do to be able to be successful and people are personally privately asking that question so that's generally what happens when people walk into the room okay the decision accelerator my hesitation around the decision accelerator is that it's an organizational methodology it's right. a tool it has brought much broader philosophical mm -hmm. yeah. overtones, you know. Right. But I don't want people to hear this and go, oh, we got to go out and buy ourselves and get ourselves a decision accelerator, because that's not the point. Right. The real point is DA, or whatever it involves to, will provide a, a mechanism for greater innovation, mm -hmm. greater collaboration, greater wealth. It's, it's, it's a social system tool. It's an organizational mm -hmm. tool. Right. So if you go back, to, if you're in 2020 and you look back mm -hmm. and you have this conversation about where innovation has gone, how the global environment creates wealth, um, I mean, that conversation has huge, huge implications in terms of the United States, yep. the, the role of universities, mm -hmm. Um, C.K. Prowell, uh, unbelievable work that he's done where he says that there'll be a cottage industry of, you know, normally poor people that live in a, almost a hut will be able to have, connect and provide value on some sort of small scheme away. And the world will be like that. Mm -hmm. You'll be able to find somebody, you know, that's living in a hut in India to do X for you, and you'll mm -hmm. gladly pay that person because of the value that you're getting. And that person will have 40 people like you, and they'll, their standard of living will move from a hut to a, to a nice home. And that will happen all over the world. Right. And um, I think that the, the DA is going to become a tool within that broader mm -hmm. evolution, but not the thing itself. Right. In 2020, the sophistication, the behavioral science sophistication, if you will, 
and the the skills of people to work collaboratively are more sophisticated than they were in 2006. So that's one of the, the big capacity shifts that you've That's seen. a huge capacity shift. And that's a big, big shift because the difference between cooperation and collaboration, in my mind, has to do with the whole notion of self-interest. Mm -hmm. mm. Cooperation is usually two people that have mutual goals, common goals, in order to meet their self-interest. Mm -hmm. Collaboration, on the other hand, is my self-interest expands beyond me and moves to you because my interest is that you don't fail, that you don't lose, okay. that because if you lose, I lose. And when you have systems where people are collaborating, you make the pie bigger, you don't split the pie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What I'm hearing implied in what you're saying, Stu, is that there's a new developmental path that started manifesting somewhere in around 2004, 5, 6, 7, in that time frame, for individuals to develop the capacity to collaborate. You know, the, the capacity to be able to uh, be in a different kind of relationship. Yeah. And um, not only happening at the individual level, but also happening in an organizational sense. So there had to be a space for that kind of development to happen. That's right. So you can see the evolution of more interconnectedness as time goes on. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, the technology of connecting people has, has always been in a lead role in the social systems have always been in a lag role. Mm. In 2020, what exists now is that you have the, the technology to collaborate. You have more sophisticated social systems to collaborate, mm. of which the Decision Accelerator is one of those. Mm -hmm. mm. Back in 2006, the Decision Accelerator is a primitive collaboration tool. Mm. 2020, the Decision Accelerator has evolved into a very sophisticated collaboration tool. Mm -hmm. In fact, the kind of collaboration tool it is, is a capability building tool where you, get, you can get people from all around the world mm. to come into a room, build new business models, build new prototypes of products, um, get all the specialization in a room to build new value networks, mm. to actually go through a, a, everything from an imagineering to a creative, to a prototyping uh, phase, to a testing phase. You could even have folks come into the room at a certain point to be able to take a look at products and give you know, input on it and mm -hmm. go out. You can probably do that virtually and electronically. Important distinction mm -hmm. um, because it's basically rest on the principle that you can get better outcomes, better design mm -hmm. by involving more people and how do you involve them? You involve them in some highly collaborative, creative, innovative way mm -hmm. where innovation is a, is a team activity. It's not an individual activity. Mm -hmm. You know, innovation used to be, you know, used to rest on the sole inventor. Mm -hmm. And what we're learning about innovation is the more diversity you have in the room mm -hmm. and the more differences and dialogue and conversation you can have, the greater the quality of the innovation. Yeah. What, I'm, what I'm getting is that back in 2006 and, and earlier, there were a lot of people that were, that were basically trumpeting the potential for diversity 
to feed innovation, but it took something like a decision accelerator for people to experience the power that that diversity has in terms of the actual products that you develop or design or create. Bill, I think that's correct because I think that the decision accelerator in 2006 is a primitive tool when you look at the advancement of the decision accelerator model to the year 2020. But at the same time, if you look back in 2006, you could see all the beginning seedlings mm -hmm. of based on a model of collaboration, mm -hmm. based on a model of innovation, based on a model of co-creation of design. Mm -hmm. You know, it has all these essential principles, mm -hmm. design principles, yep. embedded in the uh, in the process. And the, you know, the excitement that I have about the decision accelerator is because when you look at uh, where things are going and where they've been, you could see that this is a the, the DA is a tool that accommodates the trends today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What, one, one of the things that I'm getting, I'm flashing on here, is is you were speaking earlier about uh, period prior to you know earlier periods, last century being one where you really felt constrained by resources. And, uh, and you talked about concern around intellectual capital. One of the beauties around the Decision Accelerator is that it's a way of accelerating the building of social capital. You very rapidly grow social capital as you're growing the plans, the designs, the shared understanding. That's exactly right. I mean, that, that's... And that's the coin of the realm in the future. It really is, yeah. So, you know, and the more relationships you can rapidly develop, the more those relationships develop into value mm -hmm. of some sort. Mm -hmm. I think that when you get, you know, you can academically read ideas or have conversations on the telephone with, with individuals and get a sense of, of connections. Mm -hmm. But when you actually get people working together, producing co-creating together, face-to-face, yeah. -face, the, the level of invention, the level of creativity, the level of what's possible is way, way beyond the traditional means of, of innovating. And the other, the other insight, the other aha I'm having here is that the relationships that you create in that kind of setting and the agreements that you make in that kind of setting tend to be wholeness-based because you, everyone is experiencing a larger whole. Whereas you can have decision-making with a strategic planning committee, and it's a very elite select part of the organization that's doing it. It's based upon their shared model. But here you have multiplied the dimensionality of the model that's shared. So the relationships are wholeness-based. The purpose tends to be at a higher level than it would be when you're taking a more fragmented approach. I think, yeah, that's exactly right. And one of the things that's being, that has been learned in this decision accelerator model is the importance of a shared context at the front end of the, mm. of the system. Because if you can have a broad database and a shared context, that provides and allows and gives permission to, for, for everyone to think very openly and very innovatively. Mm -hmm. yeah. You certainly have a, a great recall 
of you know, 14 years ago for a 72-year-old, or 73-year-old, 73-year-old. That's amazing. Thank you very much. <laughs> Before we go, one last story. This one is from 2006, and it speaks a little bit more about the power of collaboration to really address the problems that we are facing in our world. I did a process for the state of Iowa mm. because they have the worst meth problem in the United States. Mm. So I got seven judges, the police department, mm. um, I got meth addicts to come in, I got community administrators, I had about you know, 80, 90 people in a room and we designed a new strategy to, to deal with meth. Mm. We took a, Google took a map of the state, identified all the agencies and then we had representatives of most of the agencies and I had them reconfigure into different type of network configurations to solve different problems. Mm. How can you do that with a telephone book sitting with two people in a room? You can't do it. Right. You get everybody in a room and you get a big map mm. and you have graphic facilitators and you do it like that. Right. And mm. they're realizing that the, the resource efficiency of how they solve meth, there's no coordination, collaboration involved. Right. But you can do that when you have something like that. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. You've got to create the space in which that work can happen. Yeah, and the creation of the space, not just the physical space, but the emotional, spiritual space. The emotional, spiritual, right? Is is vital. It's vital. And then you let people do what people do really well, which is collaborate with each other. I mean, humans are built that we're built to be tribal. We're built to be in relationship with all of life. We just have fooled ourselves for the last few hundred years that we don't have to do that. That, actually, what you just said is really one of the total underlying pinnings of this process because I, what I've seen, I've done about a hundred of these things. Yeah. And what I always see are people coming in that are very uptight and very sort of traditional. And when they're allowed to think and collaborate mm. and it's like it's a transforming. It's transforming. They become yeah. they're they're allowed. They don't trust is not an issue. Right. Embarrassment is position is not an issue. Mm -hmm. Mm. It's what they bring. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. And it's just so beautiful to watch. Mm. Yeah, you know, because that's how you'd like the world to be. Mm. Anyway, that's you know? yeah. so how we'd like to live. When you have a distributed model, you know, where expertise is scattered throughout all car all cultures and all parts of the world, you begin to you begin to act in the same way you do with your body. Yeah. In other words, if your if your toe hurts, you take care of your toe. Yeah. If you're you know, if you're having a problem with any part of the system, you that's where your attention goes. That's right. So it's not a matter of my heart defeating my lungs and making sure that it's better than my lungs, it's a matter of of mastering the art of supporting, of mutual support. We thank you for joining us for this episode of Stranova's podcast series. If you'd like to learn more about Stranova's business services and the topics discussed in this week's episode, please visit us at www.stranova.com, write us at ideas at stranova.com, or visit our blog at blog.stranova.com. Our program materials are covered by a Creative Commons license, the Attribution Non-Commercial Non-Derivatives 2.5 license by Brad Redderson. 
And this is Brad Redderson inviting you to join us soon for a future audio program exploring where strategy and innovation intersect.